following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Um, I know Tracy has been doing, your pastor has been doing uh, a series through Ruth. And so since that's kind of a specific thing, I'm not going to I'm not going to touch that. I want to take that in a different direction that he's doing. So we're going to look at something else tonight. We're going to look at what are you imitating, right? And I, when I say that, um, before we start talking about it, let's pretend, right? Let's pretend that we all woke up this morning and we are on the same football team. Okay, now whether you play football or not, it doesn't matter. All right, but let's pretend we all woke up and we're on the same football team. Okay, so if you were on a football team, there would be expectations, right? They're not going to send you. <laughs> they're not going to send you a, a uniform in the mail and a schedule for the games, right? You're going to be expected to be at practice. You got to be expected to be there. You got to learn what it what it looks like when we line up when we're trying to score. You got to learn what it looks like when we're doing these things, calling plays, trying to keep the other team from scoring. Right? you got to learn that stuff. I know that really seems like something we really need to know. I can tell by your faces. However, <clears throat> and you are considered doing this, right? You can't just show up at the stadium and sit in the stands and watch practice and expect to be on the team, right? Right? They call those fans. There's a word for that. They call them fans. They are not on the team. You understand? Okay, and so, <clears throat> but doing this... No matter what field you're on, it's not a field you bought, right? Whatever team we're playing on, Joe Burrow and them played the Bills today, right? The team they were on, whew, let's do it. The team they were on, or the field they were on didn't belong to them. Didn't belong to the other guys either. Not one of those players bought that field. Somebody else bought it. And there were things that were expected of that field, right? The field had didn't have anything on it that wasn't supposed to be there. Right, you got lines and numbers and all that stuff, but you don't. Have, nobody left their Tonka trucks on the fifty-yard line. You understand what I'm saying? So there's an expectation, and if me and Virgil are playing on the defense, there's an area that we're responsible for, right? And whatever happens in that area, me and Virgil are responsible for responding in kind. We have a responsibility to get to know the coach, to get to know the players. Because I need to know that when somebody goes this way, we all need to go that way. Or maybe I don't. Maybe I need to do something else, right? So we've got to learn to be a team. We've got to learn to trust each other. But we've also got to learn to trust the coach. Because there's part of the field we're responsible for. Right? And so sometimes there's we're, we're seeing something we've never seen before. And we have to respond with just what we know to do. And when we do that, we're imitating what we've seen before. Okay? We're being imitators of other people on that team that's come before us or that plays better than us or that plays just as well as we do. Right? God said the same thing in Ephesians 5, verse 1. He didn't tell you to join a football team. But what he did tell you is to be imitators of God, right, as children beloved. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn 
to Ephesians 5.1. And really, we're going to camp out on this verse today. <clears throat> we're going to use something in Genesis to talk about it, but we're going to camp out on this verse, okay? Now, in this verse, Ephesians is an awesome, awesome book because Ephesians is maybe the clearest picture in the Bible of what God sees of his children when he looks at them, right? If you go through chapters 1 through 5, or chapters 1 through 4, it's talking about what he sees when he looks at his children. He is describing the children of God in all their glory, okay? And it's an, it's an, an amazing journey if you want to read that book. Don't want to. You need to, okay? You need to want to, right? And so when he says that, he says... He says, imitate, be imitators of me. Now, what does that word imitate mean? It means exactly what you think it means. It means imitate, be like Jesus, right? Well, let me read part of that definition to you, though, that's just a little different, right? Being an imitator of children beloved, imitate, an imitator or a follower, the positive imitation that arises from admiring the pattern set by someone worthy of emulation, Who do you imitate? Right? Is it your dad? Is it a grandfather? Is it somebody really cool? Is it a businessman? Is it your pastor? Is it whoever? Listen, the only person worth emulating completely is Jesus. Right? Jesus. That's why God says, imitate me. That's why he does not say, imitate your pastor. Or imitate the fifth string pastor that they brought over tonight because your pastor is out of town. Right? They didn't say that. That's not what Ephesians says. It says, be imitators of God. Okay? It's a mentor. It's a mentor setting a proper example. Who better to set an example than Jesus? That's what Hebrews 7.25 says. It says that Jesus lived to make intercession for us. Now, I know what you're thinking. He said, they didn't say that, Steve, because he used the word intercession. The word that was translated as intercession is actually a word that means this. It means to intensely pursue hitting the mark. Now, somewhere else in Timothy, that word means to pray for somebody else. But here, that word that is translated intercession means to intensely pursue hitting the mark. Let me tell you why that's important. Because the word sin means to miss the mark. Okay, to miss the mark. In other words, Jesus, from the cradle to the cross, did all of what he did in his perfect obedience to God. Because if he does not, there is no perfect sacrifice and no and the crucifixion no longer holds any weight because there will not be a resurrection. You understand what I'm saying? And everything about Christianity hinges on the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then we're following a crazy man, okay? And that's not the case. All right, so when this says be imitators of God, one of the first questions that comes to your mind is one of the first questions that come to mind. How do we do that, right? How do we do that? I bet that's what you're asking. What would you say if I told you that's the wrong place to start? Okay? Probably look at me like you're crazy. She is right now. <laughs> So, if Jesus says, or if God says, 
to imitate me. The God of the universe says to imitate me. How does he start? God starts by, with creation, right? He creates perfection. He creates all that there is to be created. He makes a garden in the middle, puts us inside of it, puts Adam and Eve in it, right? When sin enters the garden, what's the first thing God does? He cleanses perfection. You know how? It wasn't getting a mop and wiping up the the garden. It was removing us. Okay? He removed Adam and Eve from the garden. Those who had contaminated not only themselves, but where they were, had to be removed. Because you cannot be like that and be in the presence like that of God. Right? Now, does that mean that sin in the world right now, that God's gone? No, it doesn't. And can he see that? Yes, it does. Can we surprise him? No, we can't. What it does mean is we cannot stand in the rest of his perfect love. We cannot be in his presence like the high priest was in the Holy of Holies. Imperfect. Now, I'm saved. I've been saved for 25 years. And some of you have probably learned more about that, forgotten more about being saved than I may ever know. Okay? However... However, what I can tell you is I'm yet to be perfect, as are you, because the only perfection that allows us that opportunity to stand in his presence is Jesus Christ living in us. So how is the wrong question? What's the right question? The first thing God did was remove sin from the garden, right, in the person of Adam and Eve. So I want you to imagine, not imagine, no, right? God says you are a temple of the living God. Do you understand that? You have become the temple. See, we're not introduced to that concept until into the book of Leviticus, Exodus and Leviticus, right? Of the temple, of the tabernacle, of all that concept. We're not really introduced to that. Scholars sometimes talk about the garden as being the cosmic temple because it was a a perfect place where God's presence was. God's presence was also in the perfect place of the Holy of Holies, which was the, the, the most holy place in the tabernacle. Okay? So, if God's presence is there, and it's perfect, the high priest can only enter one time a year, and even then, he's got bells on the bottom of his robe and a rope, rope around his ankle. You know why? Because if he's not right with God... God kills him immediately, and they drag him out when the bells stop. They send the next guy in because somebody has to offer the sacrifice for Israel. Okay? Now, there's a veil in between that place and everywhere else. We don't have access to that in the Old Testament, but now we do. Okay? Because you have become the Holy of Holies. You you follow what I'm saying? Is everybody with me? I know it's a little bit, okay? So the right question is not how do we imitate God. The right question is how is God's presence imitated in us, right? If I am the holy of holies, how's your temple? Amen? How's your temple, huh? See, because there's a lot of things that I can do to mess my temple up, right? 
Maybe you've heard this one. We entertain ourselves with the things that crucified our Savior. Huh? Hello? Yeah? We entertain ourselves with the things that crucified our Savior. There are things we wouldn't do. There are things we wouldn't say. There are things we would never be involved in, but we will watch them on TV because it's entertaining. Amen? See, that, that's getting in my cereal a little bit there, Steve. You got to back off a little bit. Say, well, I can't. Because we're talking about the presence of God, right? And we have lost the reverence for the presence of God. We've lost the reverence and the whole idea that what we have been given is not just God's forgiveness and his grace, but we've lost the idea that we've been given his presence and that we're a temple where God's presence lives. And if his presence lives in me, I am the temple. I am the most holy. I am the holy of holies. I'm not Steve because Galatians 2.20 says that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So I'm out of the picture except that I am a temple, right? And the love that's in me is the love that should be living through me. And the only grip I have on this place is what I will allow in my temple. Amen? We have lost the reverence for that. When he says, be imitators of me, we, it's like we're going, okay, well, how do I be God in this dark alleyway with the things that I'm doing? That's a ridiculous question or a ridiculous answer to that question, is it not? And all of us shrug, right? How do I, how do I watch what I watch or say what I say or do what I do when I'm not at church and say that I am in the presence of Almighty God or that he would care to be in the presence of me, right? Now, look, I'm not saying that we don't mess up. I'm not saying that we are not imperfect because we are. What I'm saying is if you've been coming to church for decades and you are wondering why this thing seems so hard, if you're wondering why, it just seems that no matter how much we talk about God, it seems like a place I go rather than a thing that I am, maybe that's why, right? Maybe it's because you've never met the man we're talking about, right? Maybe it's because, maybe it's because... The love that lives in us, we're expecting it to be where we want to be rather than drawing it to where he wants us to be, right? No man comes to the Spirit unless the Holy Spirit draws him. If you are being drawn to Christ, you are being drawn not only to a way of life, but a place of life. Right, You're being drawn to the holy of holies, a place that no Israelite ever had the chance to go to until Jesus died on the cross. Do we realize what, a, what an awesome, amazing thing that is to have access to the one who created everything, to the one who loves us, right? When we talk about this, it ought to be like we're talking about the Super Bowl, but we don't talk about it like that. Right? Because we talk about God out of have to instead of thank you. Amen? Amen. He said, be imitators of God. 
right? There is a way, and I'm the way, right? There is a truth in this fallen world of lies, and I am that truth. There is a life, there is a life where you are called to, and I am that life. The answer to every one of those things is Jesus. That's why he said it in the book of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Not through Steve, not through Tracy, not through Celia, maybe through James, but not through the rest of us, you know what I mean? (laughs) Not at all. And we don't give that the reverence that it deserves. We have lost something. We've lost not only the idea of whose we are, but we've lost the idea of what that means. So the more important question is how do I, then how I do this is the same question that Jesus asked right after Adam and Eve sinned. It's the first question in the Bible. He said, where are you? Where are you? See, because if you haven't realized you're a temple, Have you even let Christ move in? You see? See, this this, this is a simple concept. It's a deep concept, you know what I mean? This is the one you got to think about, right? See, because the difference is, I know about this stuff, or this stuff knows about me. Right? Right? I've either lived my life learning about him, or I've given my life with him loving through me. And there's a difference. Right? There's a difference. Amen? We do not obey God or his love from have to. We obey God and enjoy, enjoy his love because of thank you. Because he didn't have to. Everybody straight on that? He didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. And guess what? There is nothing in this book that is have to for you. If you want to be saved, you must come to Christ broken and contrite. But you don't have to. Amen? Because it's a want to. Because love is a want to. Right? Love is a want to, I can prove it. How many of you have been married for any length of time whatsoever? Raise your hand. How many of you, while you were dating, would get dressed up, take a shower, wash the truck, just to go sit beside her on the couch and watch TV? (laughs) Why? Because you wanted to. Because that's what love does. Right? How many of you have wanted to strangle that person since then? Sometime here. See? Why? Because you wanted to. Right? Hey, but you didn't. Why? Because that's what love does. Right? It keeps no records of wrongs. It loves. And it loves purely. Sometimes we don't love so purely. Right? Me and a a friend of mine were talking about agape. See, the Greeks were so much cooler than we, we are. See, we have one word that we use for love, right? Well, I love hot dogs. I love Celia. I love, you know, church. I love Jesus. All those things. We use the same word for that. 
The Greeks didn't do that. They had like seven or nine words for love, right? It was awesome. And one of the words that they use is agape. That word is the word that God's love for us. So in one sense, you could say if the love of God lives inside of us, that it agapes through us, right? But see, I'm, and I, while I'm with that, I don't think we agape. I'll tell you why. Because agape says that if two people fall in love and they have a child, and one of those people molests that child, then the other parent would say, hey, I not only will forgive you, I will sacrifice that child so that you can live with me forever and eternity. That's what Jesus did. And we don't agape. You follow? We don't have that in us. We have it in us. We don't live it through us. You got me? Because God is so much cooler than we are. Right? He is so much cooler than we are. And the fact that he would love you that much, it ought to blow your mind when you think about what he's done for you. Right? How can we say something like, God loves me? How can we sing even the song, Jesus loves me, and walk out of here unmoved, unshaken, unstirred? How is it that day after day, Sunday after Sunday, in church after church across America and across the world, that people are just like, yep, that's nice. Where are we going for lunch? Huh? Hello? Amen? Come on, this means more than that. It should mean more than that. And it should affect you more than that. It should be the reason you're alive, right? Everybody do this for me. They go, that was a breath. You know what that was? It was a gift. You know why? Because someone else is lost and needs to understand the love that you may or may not have. And if it wasn't so, we'd all went home this morning. That gift is so someone else can learn that he wants to live in them too. That there is no veil. That we're not, I don't have to go to someone else and ask you to pray for me. And say, I mean, I can do that and that's wonderful. But I don't have to go through you to get to God. He has given me access. I can walk in and fall down. And say, God, I'm here and I messed up and I know you love me. I'm sorry. I don't have to go out and kill a goat. I don't have to ask you to kill a goat. I don't have to ask you to do anything for me to tell daddy that I'm sorry and that I love him and accept the love that he has offered me as a free gift, right? And the fact that he has and the fact that I did 25 years ago, that still, that still gets me, man. I can't, I can't get over that. You follow? Can you? Have you? Come on, I, I know we're all doing this, but really? Huh? See, because that's convicting to me too. Because while I am very passionate about that, trust me, I've had moments where I was ready for lunch. Just like some of you probably have been. Yeah? And listen, he means more than that. And because of what he did, he deserves more than that. 
are you imitating God has to start with where are you? If it doesn't start with where are you, then you have to wonder if you met God at all. Right? Because he will meet me where I am. But if I'm, let's say, you know what? I know lying's wrong. Have I ever lied before? Yes, I have. But let's say that I want to come to God and say, look, I am, I'm going to give you everything except lying. I want to keep doing that. Right? So I'm going to give you all this stuff, but I feel like lying's my kind of purview. I feel like I can do that anytime I want to. So I'm going to give you everything but that. Right? Did you meet God? Or did you talk to him through a window? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? At best, right? Right? So if I say something very unpopular, if I say, well, you know what? I want to come to church and I want to love God, but, you know, I'm a man who thinks I'm a woman, I'm probably not. I probably didn't meet the God I'm talking about. Right? If I say I want to do all, I want to be all that you have told us we should be, except for this one part. Probably not, right? I, I, I want to, I want to follow you and I want to, I want to respect and reverence you. But I, I want to, but I think we ought to be able to kill a baby just because we felt like it, right? Did I really meet God? Did he really tell me that? You hear what I'm saying? And I don't mean to be crass or to be, I'm just being honest, right? If we're going to talk about it, we got to talk about it, okay? Because unless we bring it out in the open, we're not going to talk about it. We're just, we're just going to keep on walking past it, right? You know, it's amazing how many things in a church can be going on for decades and nobody will say anything about it. And then once somebody finally does, you'll have 15 people go, I'm surprised it took them that long. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, so we have to, we have to find this reverence if we're going to imitate God. You got to do all, we have to be all that God says we are. If he says, I'm a temple, I'm a temple, right? If he says, I'm a a priest, Hebrews says, we are a kingdom of priests. If you're a priest caring for your temple, how is it that you serve God, right? Right? Do you not have to care for the temple as well? Amen? Amen. Right? So my first question to you, as we read the imitators of God, is not how do you do that. It's where are you? Because I'll tell you a secret. To being discipled, to to obeying God, to, to being more and more like Christ, It's not about the list you make. It's about are you more in love with God tomorrow than you are today? Are you more in love with him today than you were yesterday? Because the transforming love of God will meet you where you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you there. And he is constantly transforming us. To the Hebrew mind, creation or even recreation, being saved was not just a boom and it's done. It's happening all the time. It has a, the word has an actual aorist tense to it, which means 
It doesn't have a timeline on it. It means it was happening. It is happening. It's going to continue happening. I am saved. I am being saved. I am continuing to be saved. I am like Christ. I am, or I was like Christ. I am like Christ. I am being like Christ. It means he's changing me, transforming me every day. Every day that I'm with him, I am more like him or not. You follow? Right? Because if you invite him to your temple, but there's a computer where you watch porn all the time, that's probably not going to be the place where you meet God. Right? If you invite God into your temple and it's a place where there's all these things that you refuse to let go of, that's probably not going to be the place where you meet God. Do you follow? Right? And look, I'm, just, I'm trying to be real, right? I'm not one for beating around the bush or we're not going to use five fancy words to tell you softly what the Bible tells you right up front, okay? So the first question to imitating Christ, to imitating God, is where are you? Because you meet him in the temple. He says he meets us in our hearts. He seeks to change the heart first. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things. It is also the wellspring of life. And God lives there. Amen? All right. So look, tonight, tonight I hope is maybe the first day, or maybe just the next day, in the rest of the days, that you consider yourself the temple of God, not just someone who knows about him or is, or is trying to be like him, what, right? Right, it's not a checklist. It's not a checklist. It's an in love kind of thing. It's a relationship. That's why they call it that. And you're going to grow. You're going to continue growing if you get to know him. You know, I always thought it was beautiful how we meet God in the, in the Bible, right? You know, when creation happens, there's no file that Abraham, uh, that, um, Adam and Eve were given that says, you know, before God was, uh, created the earth, that he was, you know, doing this over in Cabo San Lucas, or before God did this, he was doing this. You know, we don't have a dossier on what God was doing or where he was before he was created us, right? And created the world. I think it's amazing that every child that has been a product of the relationships in this room meet their father in the exact same manner. There's no baby in the womb that ever had, you know, an email saying, hey, look, your dad's going to be short and chubby. You know what I mean? Kaylee didn't get that, right? There's nothing or no one told her what I was going to be like. The only way she gets to know her dad is by spending time with him. Right? And the first way we learn about spending time with each other is where are you? Are you even together? Amen? Amen. Now look, if you don't know the God I've been talking about, maybe you had an experience, maybe you haven't had that experience. Maybe you didn't know that you were a temple of the Most High God. Maybe you don't know or have never known That this is what he gave you. He didn't just forgive you. He gave you his presence. And what that means, right? Bow your heads and close your eyes and we're going to pray. 
And listen, if that's you, there's no prayer in the Bible that is called a sinner's prayer. There's no special or magic words that will save you. But if you choose to be saved, it's because God is drawing you to him tonight. And look, the entire cosmos has conspired against you to put you right here to hear what God said out of his word because he loves you, right? This is not an accident that you're here hearing this. And so, if, if you need Jesus, again, there's no special words, but something like this, right? You must come to God with a broken and contrite heart. That means that you are broken. It means that, it means that you know that if you go one more day without God, you're doing it wrong. It means that the things that have hurt you, right? That what has actually hurt you is sin. It's nobody's fault. It's nobody else. It's sin, right? Sin is hurt. There's nothing else to blame it on except my sin. And God is the only answer for sin. And if you come to him broken and contrite and you will repent on your sins and surrender your life to him. The Bible says without repentance, there is no salvation. And if you will surrender your life to him and give yourself to him, all that you are, all you've ever been and all you're ever going to be is now his. He controls your checkbook. He controls your calendar and he controls your heart and your relationships and your love and your wants and your desires. And if you're willing to give him those things and grow in that, then pray something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you. I know that you came, that you died on the cross for my sins to, to right a wrong that I couldn't fix. And you, because of the resurrection, that you have reconnected me with God, that you are willing to recreate me. This isn't a renovation. You're not fixing me. You're remaking me into a new creation. I give you my life and ask you to use me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now look, there's a lot of churches, a lot of pastors that ask you to come down here and cry and to say you're sorry and tell you that you got the t-shirt. And if you just come on Sundays and, you you know, listen to the pastor, you're going to get it. I'm going to tell you right now that is not salvation. Okay? Without repentance, there is no salvation. Right? And your attendance does not make you a member of the family of God. Amen? It is the relationship with Jesus Christ that makes you part of the family of God. But if you're part, then everything that I talked about tonight ought to fire you up. Right? If you're a part, you've been given something that no one in the cosmos has except the people who God has chosen to give it to, and that's you. To everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.